Welcome to our next episode of the 5 Moments of Need Performance Matters series. This is Bob Mosier, one of the many co-hosts you'll meet throughout this series. So friends, are you trying to learn more about the 5 Moments of Need? Maybe how to design for them, implement for them, measure them and even sell them as an approach to your enterprise. Well, in the Performance Matters series, we will help you better understand the theory and best practices behind this powerful methodology and offer proven ways to put the five moments of need into practice. Okay, welcome everyone and back to the Performance Matters series. Bob Moser here, one of your co-hosts as always. And we are excited this time in this series to start what we call Experience Matters, which is one of the many sub-series of our podcast and are incredibly honored today to be joined by my favorite team of learning professionals as well as Khan, folks we've gotten to know over the years and truly admire for the work they're doing. The folks from the Council of Inspector Generals on Integrity and Efficiency, or better known as SIGI. So great having you all here, folks. Let's go through and do a little introduction of the team. Beth, you want to get us started? Sure. Hello, everyone. Uh, My name is Beth Leon, and I'm the director of the SIGI Training Institute's Audit Inspection and Evaluation Academy. Brilliant. Thanks. Welcome. Amanda. Uh, Yes, my name is Amanda Freeman. I am the Inspections and Evaluations Program Manager for the AI&E Academy. And last but by no means least, the great leader there, Doug Hi, Doug Holt. I'm the executive director of the Training Institute. Brilliant, guys. Thanks again, and really welcome so much. Appreciate you helping us out here and sharing your experience. So, guys, let's get right down to this. So, let's give the folks listening an idea of the background, kind of what Siggy's about, particularly your L&D team. So, how did you guys get into existence? Where did Siggy come from? Actually, Siggy was legislated into existence in 2008 by the Inspector General Reform Act. And the work that we do here with regard to training constitutes half of the council's mission. And our primary focus is to create a professional and highly skilled workforce. And we support about 74 offices of inspectors general. There's 74 offices of the inspector general. Correct. Where'd that number come from? Those are also legislated into law in terms of that Congress creates the the OIG. So we used to be 73, but in the last year, Congress created a new Office of Inspector General. So now we're up to 74. Wow. So pretty much makes up our whole government here in the States, basically. And you folks help oversee that. Correct. Excellent. So let's talk about L&D. What's the makeup of your team there at SIGI? Sure. The Training Institute, we have about 17 employees, and that number of 17 is divided between two physical locations. We have staff here in Washington, D.C. We're located near the White House. We also have colleagues that are co-located with the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center down in Glencoe, Georgia. And in terms of how we're broken out within the Training Institute, we're broken out primarily by profession or mission. So therefore, we have three academies. As I mentioned earlier, there's the Audit Inspection and Evaluation Academy, the Leadership and Mission Support Academy, and also the Criminal Investigator Academy. Brilliant. So total employees, how many would you give us all up then in your team? Sure. We have within the Training Institute, as I mentioned, we have about 17. And then also how that's broken down, about 25% or about one quarter Mm. of us are permanent SIGI staff. And then the remaining are on detail from various offices of inspector general that are part of the SIGI community. Brilliant. 
So it kind of gives you a real frontline manager view of everything when you have those folks who kind of come in and help on that side. It's pretty spectacular. So let's get a little level in, in who do you support. So give us a little bit about the classic makeup of an L&D group. Who do you support? What type of deliverables do you offer them? That type of thing. So we have a, a good background of your offerings. In terms of the number of staff that comprise those 74 IGs, there's about 14,000 staff that we support. On average, annually, we train about 3,000 of those professionals. And our professions include auditors, inspectors and evaluators, criminal investigators, HR folks, attorneys. And right now, in terms of our deliverables, and one of the main reasons that we want to move towards five moments and being able to respond better to our community is that we primarily have instructor-led training only and also conferences. So we have classroom training and then conferences that we support for the CD community. Mm, classic. And, and you guys, I mean, I've done other government work, DOD and such. And so you use a lot of classic instructor stuff, academies, classes, this kind of stuff. The five moments is clearly a shift, not away from that by any means, but in complement of that. And in some ways, a, a totally different focus. Everyone's going to ask why the five moments. What business drivers caused you folks to make this shift and not just stay the course with what was working? The first one is impact. So we observed that existing training didn't really have a clearly defined relationship with performance. We did traditional training. People would show up. The membership seemed happy with what we were doing. But when we would inquire about, are we moving the needle? We would get, well, you know, Hmm. we don't really know, but this is fine, you know, kind of thing. (laughs) And then as an aside, an observation later in the process, once we had mapped everything and gone through a little bit, we learned that our existing training was in fact entirely disconnected or largely disconnected from how work actually gets done. And we discovered that by trying to take an interim step of using our workflow maps Mm -hmm. and integrating them into our existing curriculum. And it was impossible to match them up. So Mm impact is number one reach is number two and beth mentioned earlier that we have a population of fourteen thousand we're only training three thousand of them and we're pretty much only addressing the needs then of twenty percent of our population so we need to do more number three would be accessibility currently we're only really available to the dc workforce and sure people fly in and out but That's a relatively small percentage, and the inspector general staff are distributed across the country. So Mm. we need to find a way to touch all of those people. Number four is measurement. We have been doing the traditional Kirkpatrick stuff, and it's not really moving the needle. It doesn't really tell us anything. We want to do something different that gets into measuring impact, and Kirkpatrick is just never going to get us there. Mm. And then the last one is business imperative. Our business model is obviously antiquated. You went through it with the academy structure, classroom, live instructor led. So it's antiquated and high cost. So flying instructors around the country, renting space, and still just hitting 20% of the population. It's just not a sustainable business model for us Hmm. or anyone, really. You know, and and what I respect about the numbers, frankly, is I wish more L&D had transparency into this. I think those listening would find out if they went to the level which you folks understand what's going on, that this would be more typical than atypical. So applaud the efforts that you've done. And as the folks listening know, going through five moments, it is a journey. It's a tough shift for many, 180 for many, myself included in my journey. Can you give us a little bit on how it's going so far? Where would you say you are now and, and kind of how's it gone getting there? 
The three of us, Beth, Doug, and I, started this journey about a year and a half ago when we decided we wanted to move the initiative forward. We didn't really have any funding, infrastructure, or a requirement from our customers to change. And we also didn't have a lot of dedicated time to put towards the effort. But we were convinced, thankfully, from you guys, (laughs) that it was the right thing to do, and we all believed in it. And that is what drove us forward. So for about a year, we've chugged along a very bumpy and sometimes overwhelming path, trying to learn the five moments of need methodology ourselves, and then use what we've learned with a lot of help from some friends to create and build out a proof of concept to show the community and subsequently gain buy-in from our stakeholders. There have been a lot of moving pieces, obviously, but for us, everything sort of came together this past December. All of the seemingly disconnected pieces that were all over the place clicked into place and we were able to see that the initiative was going to succeed and we were truly able to understand the impact that we were going to have on our community. And it's been exciting to watch you guys go through it candidly, your willingness to try and learn and sometimes there was resistance, but it was great to have the conversations and see you work through. So earlier we described some traditional deliverables, Doug, the idea about the on-sites, the fly-ins, the academy, the classes. What deliverables have you shifted to now? Sort of where are you in that part of the process? Well, with just the three of us, we've created, (laughs) since created, an EPSS, so an electronic performance support system, using Ask Delphi. We're calling it the INE Navigator so that folks in our community can navigate through their own performance. We're also in the process of filling in all of the steps, supporting knowledge, and resources with help from some business matter experts in the community so that that navigator is going to be full of all kinds of good information for the community. We also plan to run our first pilot this spring slash summer, depending on how it goes, of the critical content supplemented by the navigator. And we'll be ready to hopefully begin offering access to the navigator and the related training courses starting in the first quarter of FY20. Hmm. We're working on defining metrics, targeting the impact of performance through the EPSS as mm-hmm. well. Brilliant. And, and as you're describing here, the crawl, walk, run, is all, yeah. slow and steady wins the race, right? I mean, you've done, again, such a brilliant job at that. So let's peel the onion back here, friends. I mean, let's get to the stuff that people really want to know about. Your experience that for every L&D team that goes through this, it is different. There is change. So give mm-hmm. us a little bit into what has it been like for your team to make the change and come right at it for us. Well, this is definitely a really big change for us since we only had instructor-led training. We had Mm. absolutely no virtual presence at all. So change is definitely a good way to describe it. But we're going to define enterprise in three ways. So who are we selling this to? Well, the first big part of that is obviously the 74 IGs and the 14,000 staff across the Mm. community that we talked about. They're just starting to understand that something good is going on, but they're not quite (laughs) knowing what it's all about. We've done a number of demos to the community and showed them the navigator, and we've gotten a lot of really positive feedback from showing it to them, and a lot of people are really excited. Specifically for the target population that we've been working with right now, the inspections and evaluations community, they've sort of gone from, we don't know what you're talking about, but sure, you can have time at our (laughs) meetings. They went from that to, wow, can we have this, please? Like, when are we going to get this? Mm -hmm. Because we think it would be really helpful to our staff. And then the third sort of enterprise that we've been trying to change hearts and minds with is our own staff within the three academies that we have. Because technically right now, only one part of that academy actually knows what's really going on and understands the methodology and the impact that it's really going to have. Great. So challenges. I mean, what have been the greatest things that you've had to come up against that your team has had to struggle with a bit? 
Well, I think it sort of gets to the crawl wall <laughs> that yeah. you were just referring to. Yep. Uh, we like to call it building the bridge as we're walking over it, though. Love that. Yep. Yeah, it is. That has been a, a great challenge for us because we all have collateral duties. So mm. working on the methodology and trying to implement this and change the hearts and minds of a lot of people just because we know it works has been to the side of all of the other things that we are doing. But we believe in it so much that we push through often and continue to build the bridge while we're working on it. Yeah, amazing. And you guys, what I love about your story, because we hear this a lot, if I may, you know, throw some kudos your way, is that we always get the, you know, my t- our team's too small, we're understaffed, we're underfinanced, we're busy with other things. Honestly, knowing you folks throughout this journey, you epitomize many of those, candidly, but you've run at them, you've dealt with them, you believed in it, you balance it as best you can, and I think the results have, have shown. I think it's just brilliant. And I love the hearts and mind thing, because it really is both. Change isn't just an operational thing. It's an emotional thing. And I think you're doing a great job of managing that. So there has been change. There has been progress. What are some successes you can point to? So we have a nearly operational navigator yeah. that we'll be deploying in a couple months, which is very exciting. There's been obviously a lot of work that's gone into it. And just to see the fruits of your labors and to see mm. the community get on board with it makes it a success in and of itself, even if they haven't been able to use it yet. We've mapped four of our career fields. One of them is the inspections and evaluations, one that we were using for the pilot and our proof of concept and everything. Three of them still need work, but we're going forward with this one. And we basically did a 180. As I've mentioned, we moved from having absolutely no virtual presence in our training world and only doing classroom mm. We now have critical skills being taught virtually and then an integrated EPSS. And the class that used to be only instructor-led and only could be in D.C. is now not even going to be in a physical classroom anymore. It's only going to be offered virtually and be able to reach not only D.C., but the entire OIG community everywhere. Wow. Just brilliant. I hope everyone's listening to this, candidly, because <laughs> again, listen to that list of success with the team they have, the time, the budget, the whole deal. It just shows you good leadership, good team. These things get done. And so, so impressed. Friends, lessons learned. It's, it is the most demanded part of these podcasts. When we survey folks that listen to us and so on, the number one thing they want to hear is those that gone ahead of us, and you clearly have, lessons learned in this journey. What have they been like for you? Um, well, the first one I think is pretty simple. Uh, you just have to start somewhere mm-hmm. uh, with some sort of a pilot project. And when we kind of looked out across the community on where to start, we thought, well, who who could we best help and would be most willing to let us help them? And that was the inspection and evaluation community because they always seem to be an underserved group. So mm-hmm. that's where we started. Another thing is the is the buy-in, not only from the staff, but from leadership and the willingness to learn as you go together. So I think the tone was set at the top from Doug in terms of getting everybody to buy in and learn as you go together. And he did that by walking the talk. Mm. So I think that was very important. Another thing is figuring out the technology in terms of your, for your performance support system in terms of that it is readily accessible, easily used by your learners. So kind of have that in the back of your mind going forward with regard to what platform you're going to mm-hmm. have your performance support system on. And things get crazy. Everybody has <laughs> crazy days, weeks, months, even years. But 
you just have to make the commitment to make the time to take the time for the whole effort and just kind of adjust as you go along, but kind of keep the goal line in sight, even when things get crazy and you're, to use a football analogy, you're getting sacked. <laughs> quarterback gets back up and you yep. know, is ready for the next play. So yep. that's exactly what you have to do. And as I know Doug and Amanda have said, it's really building that bridge while you're walking on it it's not easy but you just have to take that first step and go for it and in terms of people might say oh well this right if we try it this way or is it wrong and in keeping with the building the bridge analogy our bridge might be different than your bridge so there's no right or wrong way to go about starting this change and Mm -hmm. taking that that first step so in terms of when we look back in terms of what we might perceived as mistakes and how we're implementing it and going along knowing what we know now we don't know if we could have would have should have done it (laughs) any other way because you just had to believe take that leap of faith that step of faith and just jump in and do it because you're not going to know unless you try yeah you know it's the irony guys the methodology it hinges on apply doesn't it and, and we talk about critical skills. We talk about learning through failure. And yet L&D teams are the worst at that. This analysis paralysis, not proceed till we've got the path, strategy forever, eight-year plans before we take a step forward. It just doesn't work. You win this battle one project at a time, which you've done brilliantly. There will be wrongs. There will be rights. But the goal is to learn and proceed. A brilliant job. So give us what you would do differently, though. Now that you can look back, what would you do differently than when you started, if at all? Well, this is is kind of a surprising answer. I think it was for us. And we happened to be sitting around talking about this the other day because we noticed that over the last year and a half, we had created some chaos behind us. And so we're trying (laughs) to figure out how we could have done that differently. And so as we talked about it, we eventually concluded that we wouldn't do anything differently. So Mm -hmm. we had... Hmm. We had the methodology, right? And that was the general roadmap. But at the practical level, what that roadmap doesn't show is all the hills and the valleys that you encounter. And hey, there's a river there. And when you fall in, it happens to be freezing cold. But we also didn't know that cool thing that was just around the corner that we ran into unexpectedly. And so it's really the kind of thing that you have to figure out as you go along in your situation, following the general roadmap. And so even knowing what we know now, we came to the conclusion that we wouldn't have made any other choices, any different choices, just because we couldn't Hmm. by virtue of how the, how the process rolls out and how you learn about it and apply it apply it and discover along the way. Yeah. Brilliant. And now we have folks listening team that are sitting where you were a few years ago when we met. They are listening to all this. They want to be you in so many ways. They're in analysis paralysis. They don't know where to start. And one of my favorite exercises in life is the classic, now that I'm an old guy and I'm an old guy is, boy, if I can go back to my 18 year old self, what would I tell myself to be careful of, look for, maybe even do differently in the beginning or remain true to? as I got older in my life. If you look back, give us the top three things you'd tell yourself if you could go back to the beginning. We have many beginners listening. Well, these are really the golden nuggets of the whole process, setting everything else aside and the impact it's having on training. It's really the impact on us Mm. uh, as professionals. And the first thing that we would tell ourselves is trust the process. 
believe me, as you're going through this, you're going to think we're lost. We're confused. This mm-hmm. is never going to work. And doubts will creep in. But if you trust the process, the process will take care of you and it will work. So that's the first thing. Second thing is that breakthroughs occur unexpectedly. And I would say often in a blinding flash of sudden clarity and understanding. So typically you go through these change efforts and you've got a project management plan and milestones and all that. And so we're building and building and building. And at some point the thought occurs, geez, we've been building for a while and we've got pieces, but why isn't it coming together? Mm. And then all of a sudden it does Mm. in a stunning and really comprehensive way. So don't plan on having that planned breakthrough just by way of managing expectations. Be patient and let it come to you and it will. And then the third and probably most stunning part of it that we would tell ourselves is that it's going to completely change how we think and the lenses through which we look at things. And this is beyond just training, by the way, but sticking with training for just a second, none of us can walk into any kind of traditional training and ignore the, the glaring flaws that exist. <laughs> and, and it's hard to resist the, the urge to say, you know, yep. Kind of doing it wrong. And if you just do this, it would make all the difference in the world. But then beyond that, just in our regular day-to-day activities, we've started thinking five moments of need thoughts Hmm. and applying those to our everyday situation. So Amanda, for example, if I can tell tales out of school, she's constantly now saying, well, I hear what you're telling me, but What's the context? I need to understand why you're asking me to do this and and how it applies. And then just yesterday, we had another really fascinating moment where we were all sitting around trying to figure out how to involve other members of this particular academy team. And we were struggling a little bit because the other members, they see what's going on and they really want to help. And so they're looking for ways to do that. And we know that we're right in the middle of the final stages and it's kind of hard to bring people in late to the game, but we were all seeking a way to do that. And so we got into this conversation about critical thinking Mm. and I was saying, well, you know, it's kind of apart from five moments in need. I think we can actually uh, experiment with that and see how it applies later. And then again, Amanda broke in and said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I just had an epiphany. What we're talking about here is critical skills is a piece of supporting knowledge, Mm -hmm. but it's a seven. It's a critical piece of supporting knowledge. (laughs) And so if we treat it in that way, everything that we're just talking about works and we can bring in those other members in a really constructive and relevant way into everything that we're doing. And the ability to piece those disparate pieces of thought together into something that was coherent and just incredibly meaningful both to the people in the room and in relation to the coursework that we do, it was just stunning. I mean, mm. it, was, it was it was one of those, oh my gosh, should have had a V8, slap your foot. <laughs> but it was really fabulous. So that never would have happened before. Yeah. You guys, it's funny because I've been on this journey for, I've been an educator for 36 years, been on the five moments for 10. And to your point, Doug, I can't sit through training anymore as a learner. 
you just cannot go back once you make that turn. But as you've outlined beautifully in this episode, it's not always easy. You have to trust the process. You have to trust your team and yourselves. You guys inspire Akon and I in two levels. One is it's been remarkable to watch you go through all this. As you tell the story, I can think back to specifics. And it's been remarkable to watch you and, and Doug, your leadership, and, and Amanda and, and Beth, your willingness to go along. And that's why you're where you are. And secondly, you've always been remarkable about sharing. And your willingness to be our first maiden voyage into Experience Matters is wonderful. We couldn't have started with a better one. And we know that you folks are available for follow-up and other things that can be uh, talked to for specifics. So team, thanks so much for all you do. Really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Well, that's it for this episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. We look forward to future conversations around how to best put the five moments of need into practice. We welcome your feedback and can be reached on Twitter using my Twitter handle at BMOSH, as well as our Five Moments of Need website, which is www.the5momentsofneed.com. We hope you're finding these helpful and will subscribe to future episodes. Have a great day, friends.